0: Healthcare Unfiltered, Shadi Nabhan podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist, and I really have interest in all aspects of healthcare, delivery, treatment, mentorship, leadership, pretty much everything pertaining to healthcare. Thank you for tuning in to Healthcare Unfiltered. appreciate your support. appreciate you tuning in to hear the podcast today. Well, today I have the pleasure of um, hosting Jerry Teixeira. Well, let's see. I'm not going to really slaughter his name, uh, although he did tell me exactly how to say it. I actually call him by JT, and JT gives you really more power, but you could see him on Twitter, at Jerry Teixeira, Jerry, T-E-I-X-E-I-R-A. I had met Jerry through social media, and I've been really very impressed by the content that he produces. He talks about... Body strength. He talks about exercise. He talks about diet. He talks about well being. He talks about obesity and so on. And as you know, we've aired a couple of episodes on keto diets and a variety of dietary supplements and how we actually can do better. So I've asked Jerry to come on the show and share with me. The diet that he has been on and why? Because I learned that he has been on a low-carb diet for 11 years. That is 11 years, folks. And goodness, I mean, you know I do like ice cream and french fries. So I'm trying to think, how did he make it 11 years with low carbs diet? I'm going to ask him that because it's really rather important. But, uh, you know, I've asked Jerry to come on the show and uh, to really better understand what got him into the diet, the exercise, to hopefully try to figure out a way that you could benefit from the diet program that he actually provides, as well as the exercise programs that, you, that he actually provides. I, I, I've been very impressed, and I thought it's really timely to bring JT on the Healthcare Unfiltered. You could also watch, by the way, the entire interview on my YouTube channel, Shadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Please subscribe to it and don't forget to hit the like button. So without further ado, JT on Healthcare Unfiltered, talking diet, exercise, body strength, weight training, vitamins, supplements, everything that you need to know that you might implement in your lifestyle. Well, it's really a pleasure of mine to host Jerry Teixeira, and I I hope I did not slaughter his last name, but he did coach me before we went on the air as to how to say it. He'll correct me in a little bit. It's really a pleasure to to host uh, Jerry on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast, because um, I actually got the chance of getting to know him and meeting him uh, via social media, and I was really pretty interested in a lot of the things that... He says, uh, whether it's what's related to diet, to exercise, to going to the gym, to uh, even vitamins, obesity, uh, uh, low carbs, all of that stuff. So I thought the best way to do that is we'll bring Jerry on the show and we'll talk all things pertaining to diet, exercise, and obesity. Jerry, welcome to the show. Uh, appreciate you taking time to come on Healthcare Unfiltered. And uh, for folks who don't follow you, or, I mean, you only have 30 to 40,000 followers. I know that's really, you're slowing down a little bit. But for the others who don't follow you, a little bit about you, who you are. And um, uh, tell us just uh, about you. Who is JT?
1: All right. Uh, so I, I, I grew up on a dairy in California. Um, so, you know, country living, uh, essentially. And then from from there, I graduated high school. I went into the Marine Corps for four years, um, where I was a nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare defense specialist. Um, so it's a, a pretty scientifically technical field. I've always had you know an interest in science. When I got out of the military, I I was lean. I mean, as you can imagine, it's a high high physical activity level. I ate a lot um, to support that physical activity level. Uh, and when I got out of the military, I continued to eat a lot uh, and still maintained a high activity level i mean i exercise an hour and a half a day on average um but my career after the military you know there was school there was lots of sitting uh and then even in work much more sitting so my overall activity level went down significantly at the same time i wasn't 20 21 anymore i started to get a little bit older and i started to gain weight and the reason i'm, I'm, I'm trying to super condense this so it's you know reasonable for, for listener but I I met my now wife, we ended up having a child, this is when I was 26, my daughter was born. So our first child, and I had already started to gain weight, um, like I mentioned. And then once my wife got pregnant, you know, there are certain hormonal changes and things that happen in a man as well, it's actually easier to gain weight when a woman's pregnant. And I gained 40 plus pounds over the pregnancy. And then the year after the pregnancy, Um, my activity level did drop, but that wasn't that doesn't explain the, the huge increase in weight that I have. And so, um, I, I, I got fat to the point that I was clinically obese and I, I didn't realize the obesity part until I went for an annual checkup with my doctor and they put me on the scale. And he said, Whoa, Whoa, you know, he's like, your, your weights from, from last year to this year. And the year before that to this year is that definitely, you know, you should probably do something about this. And like I told them, well, the new baby and, you know, I haven't been able to work out as much and all this stuff. Um, but this experience showed me that, you know, some people have the mentality that you can eat whatever you want as long as you exercise a lot. And so if you are physically active, then that gives you leeway with your diet. And, you know, it it will a little, um, but it's very easy to out eat the level of exercise that most people would even consider a lot of exercise. for most people, an hour to an hour and a half a day, six days a week, is a lot of exercise. And so the fact that I put on that much weight while I was, and, you know, there was days so I skipped. You were, had, like,
0: you were exercising that much
1: when you put on the weight? Most of it, yeah. Because my wife, my, my my daughter wasn't even born yet, and I had put on more than half the weight. And then after she was born, you know, obviously with the new baby, the, the exercise volume went down. But really it was the, my, I increased my intake of, of food. My wife was having cravings. We're going out to eat more. You know, but in my mind, it didn't seem like, the amount of weight that I gained was commensurate to, you know, anything that I had done dietarily. And so what I think happens is we, we don't realize how easy it is to overeat. And we can get into this, you know, we can get into this later, but a lot of it at the time we're eating out. And so it's restaurant food, processed foods, which now, you know, way later, we learn can short circuit satiety signals and you don't feel as full when you eat them. Um, so, so it leads to a natural overeating versus, you know, home cooking with whole foods. Um, but, but that was my first experience prior to that being young and I'd say lacking some life experience, you know, when I would see people that were obese or overweight, I defaulted to, well, they're just lazy. You know, that was my, my, that was my, in my little bubble. That's what I thought. And then once it happened to me, I was like, but I'm not lazy. And You know, I I saw how easy it is for it to happen to not to anyone, even someone, even someone doing what, you know, what they think is the right things. So that kind of opened my eyes a little bit and made me kind of look at the problem of weight gain and obesity from a different light. Uh, And then shortly after that, I did change my diet at that point. I started watching what I was eating. It was like chicken, rice, oatmeal, broccoli. It was the, this is in the mid 90s. So I'm sorry, mid 2000s. So you know, if you looked at any any magazine, it was egg whites and oatmeal, very low fat. You know, chicken breast, brown rice, and I did that, and I lost weight. Um, but the problem was, it wasn't sustainable. I hated the food. After a few months, I was like, okay, I can't do this forever. But,
0: be, but before you did that, you, you noticed you were gaining weight, and you wanted to lose weight, right? I mean, that's right. right. So as you decided that you need to lose weight for a variety of reasons, mainly health, obviously. Um, how did you decide what diet to follow? Like, what type of uh, search did you do? Um, like, get, take us through the process that you went through so you could implement a new diet that you thought it's going to help you.
1: Yeah. So at that time, two thousand seven, my daughter was born in two thousand six. So this probably started around two thousand seven. Um, so I had bought some like men's fitness and you know different magazines. I just started kind of acquiring information at that point uh, and. So the common tropes that you saw in, in, you know, the mainstream avenues were eat every three hours to stoke the metabolic fire, you know, small frequent meals increases the metabolism. And so I didn't really dig into, you know, at this point, I wasn't interested in reading studies. I wasn't looking at the literature. I was looking at um, more what the media was presenting. And so that's where I got, you know, they, they'll put sample diets and that kind of thing in, in stuff like men's fitness. So I, I pretty much went that. Um, that avenue. And, you know, like I mentioned, it did work. I was waking up in the morning, um, you know, in the morning I would do eggs and oatmeal or oatmeal on a protein shake, just plain, no, no, nothing else in it. Uh, and then I was cooking, you know, meal prepping twice a week, Tupperware, chicken and rice with broccoli. It was super monotonous, but it, it, it was effective, but the problem in hindsight, and it wasn't for me, it wasn't sustainable even though it was effective. And I think that's the problem with a lot of what people do, is the sustainability is not there. And then when they transition out of that, they transition back into something that they like, but has the same consequences as what caused them to get fat in the first place. Right? I, I, so I knew intuitively, I can't go back to what I was doing before because I'm going to get the same results that I got before. So I was doing this you know, six meals a day, meal prepping everything. Uh, and I got from I was up to 220 pounds at 5'8 with a 38 inch waist. So I, I realized that's not huge relative to how as big as some people are. Um, but you know, before I started gaining the excess weight, I was 155 pounds. So it's it's significant over you know a, a time period. So I, it was probably six to eight months where I I got down to 195, which was better. I was no longer considered obese. You know, I was getting to a healthier weight, and I started you know, I'd been weight training throughout that time. So I'm getting some muscle. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm never going to get back to 155, 165 pounds. That was a long time ago where my, my physique has changed, but I got to a point where I was just stuck and I wasn't losing weight any longer. And I'm still eating these foods that were just not sustainable, super bland. And one day I had just had enough. And I had a, a, a guy who's now passed away. But he referred a book to me. He said, hey, you should check out this book called The Warrior Diet by a guy named Ori Hoffmikler. He said, it's really interesting. Um, you know, it was a book recommendation that had been made to me, and it kind of stuck. So I thought, OK, I'm going to check it out. And the way he kind of got me interested in it, he said, it's a book about eating one, one meal a day. And it, it explains why the current dogma of six meals a day and all that is not supported in the literature. He's like, you should check it out. And I said, OK, I'm, I'm going to read it. So I read the book the book if anybody's interested it, it's written for the layperson 100 there's no science I mean it's it's very very like cultural spiritual it, it, it's written as a concept and and so it's not a science heavy book if that's what you're interested in. sure. but if you sure. but I read the book and it made sense that at no point in history were we eating three hours you know spacing meals out at three hours eating six times a day this is all a very new construct right oh you gotta eat breakfast like the, the whole point of the book is, Hey, what really matters is what you eat in a day, not how you split it up, not how you divide it. It's just what you eat in a day. Right. So I read this book and I thought, you know, and people I knew from the gym trainers and all that kind of stuff. They're like, Oh, cause I said, Hey, I'm going to try this. I, I'm going to give it a shot. I've always been interested in self-experimentation. I've, I was, um, pescetarian for a while. I tried a carnivore diet for two months, a couple months. Mm-hmm. it t- turned out being six months at the end i was going to do it for 60 days we could talk about that but i, I look at things from a risk reward standpoint and short term with diet kind of like the professor that did the Twinkie diet you're not going to hurt yourself in two months so i think if you're curious about a specific intervention and it and the risk is low short term so you decide, you, know, try. Try you decide to try yeah. it you to try for a couple of months right so i started eating one meal a day and fasting for 20 hours which was pretty hard for the first couple of weeks like it's pretty takes, hard it's almost impossible are you kidding me <laughs> It it takes some getting used to, but the way that they recommend it, at least in the book, he recommends just slowly compressing the amount of hours you eat in a day, right? So then you you, you transition into this smaller eating window. But I did it, and I ended up losing the rest of the weight that I wanted to lose. I got very lean over the course of about two months, something like that. And – but – the reason that that was significant, um, you know, looking back, it was energy balanced protein. I'm, I'm getting adequate protein intake. I'm eating less overall calories, even though the foods were not the traditional weight loss foods. Um, so it's, it's not like a mystery why it worked for me once, right. once I, but the, but the significance of this book for me was I thought, okay, this is crazy. All the mainstream health outlets are telling me that if I only eat once a day, number one, I'm going to lose all my muscle, right? My muscles are going to vanish. And number two, my exercise performance is going to be terrible because I'm not carving up, you know, before exercise, I'm not doing the high, you know, glycemic carbs after exercise, all all this different stuff. So all the, all the prevailing, you know, dogma of the day was saying, don't do this. And then when I did it, my results were great. So that made me very curious as to why, and that, that book um, being as light on science as it is made me start to get into digging into the literature and finding out why these things work the way they work. And, you know, some of the stuff that I discovered when I'm when, in doing this is, hey, by, by a wide, wide margin, your total protein intake per day dictates your lean mass, you know, your, your, your ability to build and maintain lean mass, not how you split that protein intake up. That's so much less important than just getting the daily target in. So even eating one meal a day, I was still able to get results. Now, I'm not saying that that's the optimal feeding schedule for for athletics or performance, but you can, as long as you get your protein in, that's your primary objective. And then, you know, secondarily, it's like, okay, so for for weight loss, making sure that I have the right energy balance. It doesn't matter if I'm eating six meals a day and if it's all the right foods, if I'm overeating those foods, I'm not losing weight. Right. You know, so it it kind of sent me into looking into literature and figuring out, okay, these things are what are largely driving change. You know, if you want to eat two meals a day, great. As long as you feel good doing that and you can sustain that, it will work just as well as three. If you want to eat three meals, which is usually what I eat now, that's fine as well.
0: You know, so. So so when you did this one meal a day, uh, it worked, obviously. How long did you continue that?
1: Uh, I, I did it. So, you know, a lot of people call it intermittent fasting. It's caught, not caught. This is 10 years ago now, but most people have probably heard that term. And a four hour eating window is, is pretty compressed. So most people now, when they talk about intermittent fasting, it's more like eating breakfast later, eating dinner earlier and eating in about an eight or nine hour window, something like that. So I, I did it with the four hour window for quite some time on and off for about four years. But I also started opening that window up to like an eight-hour window, and, and so
0: at the time, also you started okay. reviewing literature and become a little bit more educated into w- what works and what doesn't work, and that got you more interested in nutrition and diets.
1: Yeah, that that's what made me more interested in as I started reading into the literature on fasting, because you know at this point it's twenty and four. There was alternate day fasting. There was you know some research on twenty and four in humans. Some some prolonged fasting. But what really caught my attention is up until that point, I exercised out of habit in the military. I wasn't an athlete in high school. I wasn't an athletic kid at all, actually. Um, But when I went into the Marine Corps, you have no choice but to be physical. And every morning we work out, you know, your your, your physical training. And then on top of that, you have the rest of the training, which is also physical, but you have your daily exercise. And that was four years of that ingrained a habit in me that it was just what I did. So when I got out, I just continued what the, the habit that was already instilled. Now later, later with a little more wisdom in life, I look back and I realize most people don't exercise not because they're lazy. It, it's the opposite. Uh, the default as a human or as any species really is energy conservation. And so if we look back a few hundred years, even a hundred years actually, to maybe our grandparents, you know, we, we're washing clothes by hand, we're pulling water from the well, we're walking everywhere, we're not driving. Our daily The daily physical expenditure required just to live was adequate to help keep our our metabolic health, you know, in in, in good function. And so, you know, I'm sure if you talk to your grandfather.
0: It's also time. And I want to get into that with you, because one of the things that you you tell your viewers and listeners and followers, that there is time. You could actually work out at home. There's a lot of things you could do. You don't need to go to the gym. You don't need to do any of that stuff. So I want to get into that. Because... I do think time because you to your point right life has gotten so complicated yeah. and so demanding yes we don't walk everywhere but we are working more and it became just right. a little bit more where when you work 10 to 12 hours a day <clears throat> going to the gym it doesn't become fun it becomes a hassle Become oh my god so I got to go and and work out like it, it's not an it's not a, uh, a an activity that you're enjoying it becomes more of a you know, a chore that you're adding right. to your already busy schedule. You just wanna go and throw your body on the couch and just watch some TV. I mean, that's really where <clears throat> I think there are a lot of changes but you, 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 you go about it by saying you can actually do a lot of stuff at home and let me show you how.
1: Yeah, and so th- that's part of where when I started di- diving into the literature and looking at, okay, from a biological perspective, what are the processes, why, why did this work? I started looking at it from a physical training standpoint also, okay, so what is is what what is often thought about exercise, and what are the data actually saying about exercise, about strength training, about, you know, whether it's cardiovascular conditioning, and so I think what happens is most of what people think about diet and exercise, a, a lot of what people think, uh, and, and even well-educated people, right, it, the, the, the views that people hold sometimes are not necessarily accurate. And to give you an, a, a quick example of this, so I built significant muscle mass without a gym. I work out at home using body weight, a pull-up bar, gymnastic rings. I don't use any weights. Well, very, very small amount of weights for certain things, which I'll explain. But I, I don't lift weights. I don't deadlift. I'm not squatting with a heavy barbell, none of that. And you know, I, I still, to this day, have people that will see me and they're like, oh, you're lying. You didn't do that with body weight. And I'm like, okay, I did build about half my muscle at the gym before. The last six years has been exclusively training at my house. I have kids. I'm busy. I don't want to drive to the gym. I don't want to stand in line. I don't want to wait. I I don't want to do all that. Like I get my whole workout done. Most people get in the car to go to the gym. And when they're pulling up at the gym, checking in, I'm already finished. And so with kids, especially, you know, I wake up, Oh, my kids are still asleep. Let me make some coffee and go get my workout done before they wake up. I, I can do it anytime. So it makes consistency, which is the most important thing by far. It makes consistency uh, much, much easier to attain. But at the end of the day, when it comes to muscle growth, so when it comes to hypertrophy, which is the technical term for, for muscle growth, you know, um, what, what the research has shown is that if you train a muscle within a close proximity to failure, that an easy way to, to explain that to somebody is if you imagine lifting a, a gallon of milk or a, a fairly light dumbbell, five, 10 pounds, nothing too crazy. The first few repetitions probably feel like you could do it forever there's right. no lack there's no <laughs> lactate buildup right there's no lactate buildup there's no burn in the muscle you're just lifting this light weight, and then all of a sudden you start to feel that little burn and then it gets more pronounced more pronounced at some point if you keep going you won't be able to to perform another Absolutely. rep you'll right you'll you'll reach what's called momentary muscular failure what's happening is as you lift a light weight you have muscle fibers you have you know millions of muscle fibers that are running through through your body and in each muscle as that muscle contracts against resistance more muscle fibers are recruited so each repetition you're recruiting more and more muscle fibers but the key is as you recruit more and more the closer you get to recruiting the maximum number which is the point where you fail you once you fail you can't recruit anything else that you're done that is a major part of the hypertrophic response so the reason that's important is people think well if you're not bench pressing heavy weight because i'm a pretty well-built guy you know physique-wise if you're not bench pressing heavy weight then you can't you can't keep building muscle which is not true as long as you're training and you're taking that muscle within a close proximity to failure or to failure the reason i i stress that a, a close proximity is the, the research is pretty clear you don't need to go all the way to failure to stimulate hypertrophy failing on a set is just the maximum that you can get out of that individual set so if you're doing push-ups at home the reason this is important and the reason that i think what's missing for most beginners or body weight type exercise p90x more well-known programs is that you're you're, you're jumping around a lot you're moving from one exercise to the next frequently you're not taking the muscles to failure. And so they're not very effective for stimulating muscle growth, which is what a lot of people want out of their exercise, be they male or female, right? They want stronger legs. They want more, you know, maybe for women, they want more, more hind section, more quads. But if you're doing a more cardio a more cardio dominant or a higher paced workout, and you're moving from exercise to exercise without getting close to failure, what's happening is you're not doing a very effective hypertrophy training so So, i want to unpack some
0: of this uh jerry um i want to go back to the diet a little bit i want to unpack a couple of things and then i want to unpack a couple of things with exercise sure because i want to i want to give listeners a little bit more broader view because as you know there are different goals that people have right i mean there are some folks that would say you know what i don't want to get bigger muscle wise i just want to get leaner or something and women may be different than men in terms of what goals are so let's go back to diet just for a little bit. What is your current diet? What do you actually eat currently? And how would that be different? I mean I will use your wife as an example, let's say. I mean, you know, does she, you know, being a female, what is, you know, how her diet differs? And then take me through I've had a couple of episodes on keto diet and you know the low carbs. When you say low carbs, can you tell listeners what you have for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner? I just want to be a little bit more practical in sure. terms of some examples. And uh, are, is your diet keto diet or can, what do you call it? The JT diet, keto diet, something completely different? So take us through more details into that diet and, and supplements, to the diet as well, that what you do in terms of vitamins and so on.
1: Okay. So um, around the time I started, after I read the book, I told you about the warrior diet. um, When I started reading into the literature on on fasting, on not just fasting, but caloric restriction, and you see the studies showing that caloric restriction is still the most effective, um, you know, so-called longevity intervention that we know of. And it's been displayed to work from you know flies to worms to, to rhesus monkeys and you know in, in humans that are practicing it when they look at the hallmarks of aging when they do um, blood work on these people when they do different um, analyses what they find is that they are aging more slowly based on what we can you know the way that we can quantify it uh, so, so what really made me um, or what I was fascinated with was the fact that different lifestyle interventions could have, such a significant impact on our potential health and lifespan so that was about 10 years ago that got me very very interested in okay well what else can i do i want to live as long as possible at this point i think having a kid changed yeah i want to look good right like i want to look good i want to be fit into hey i don't really care as much about that not that i don't want to look good i mean you know everybody wants to look good we're we're for better for worse humans have cared what they look like for five thousand years plus i mean you know It is what it is, but that's not my primary motivation. What I always try to tell people with my content is general health comes first. And then after that, performance, strength, whatever it is that you're interested in, you optimize for those things. But I I would never do something that I feel from a risk-reward standpoint is going to detract from general health, potential longevity, that kind of stuff. And then you have to balance, I think, health span and lifespan. And, And what I mean by that is if something... Maybe be as optimal for living as long as possible, but you're going to live that way in a weak and unhappy state, then you've, you've kind of got to balance those two things. It's why right? I eat like,
0: French fries. I just want to make sure I get way. <laughs> that's, you know, I got, I
1: got my French fries. Right, well, and that's what I'm saying is I think, you know, you've got to look at risk reward and enjoy life. Okay. How, how, where, where along that spectrum am I happy with I'm enjoying what I'm doing, what I'm doing sustainable. I like, I like my food, right. To me. So what we do get you have one- for breakfast? What do you have for breakfast today? It's so, okay. So, I'm low carb. I've been low carb since then. So, you know, 11 years since I, I made that change for me right now, I'm eating about 80 grams to 90 grams of carbs a day, which is higher than what most people would consider keto. Um, but because my physical activity level is on, on the higher side, I, I don't train hours a day. It's not like that at all. I, I train about 45 minutes, maybe an hour on, on, on a high day. So it's, it's not something that's, you know, excessive but I would say that's higher than, than most people. So with my activity level and the amount of muscle mass that I carry, eating 80 grams of carbs a day still puts me where I drift in and out of a ketosis around the day.
0: Give us examples of <clears throat> so, 80 to 90 grams carbs a day, just so for listeners know, is that like oatmeal? Like, what is that?
1: Yeah. So, so for, for breakfast, I have a espresso every morning. I have an espresso machine. I'll make that when I wake up. And then I usually don't eat solid food, that's usually 6, 5.45, 6 in the morning, I'll have that. And then around 10 in the morning, I'll have breakfast, which is almost always four eggs, various vegetables. Four, I'll four. make eggs. Yeah, I'll, oh. I'll make an omelet. I'll make an omelet out of uh, four eggs, and then, I'll, like, usually it's mushrooms, green onions, sometimes bell pepper, um, avocado, and then I'll throw a little cheese on there. Um, sometimes, like, two strips of bacon, sometimes not. But that—that's usually breakfast. Do you, do you have bread with that? No, not, not not in the morning ever. So breakfast is almost always. To give you an example, some people are are different. But if I have something like oatmeal in the morning, I, I do feel very full. It's satiating. I feel I feel fine, but an hour later, I'm I'm very tired. I start yawning. My energy levels dip mid morning. So when I keep my carbs low in the morning, especially, I feel more energetic throughout the day. And then at lunchtime. I, I'm almost always the same exact lunch. I'll do Greek yogurt, non-fat Greek yogurt. I'll do about a cup and a half of that, and then I'll do about a cup and a half of berries, either raspberry, blueberry, strawberry, or a mixture. And then I'll throw some cacao nibs, like two tablespoons or so of cacao nibs, and then uh, chia seeds. I'll throw some couple tablespoons of chia seeds on there and stir that up. That will be my highest carb meal. Greek uh, Greek yogurt, like a chobani kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I use. Their consistency is really good. Uh, so I'll go with Chobani. Sometimes I'll buy whatever brand. But you could the have like the, uh,
0: the flavored ones, right? The flavored Chobani, like with the straw. <clears throat> so they have, because they have like a plain ones and they have a flavored ones.
1: Right. I What I do is I buy the plain and then I throw a little stevia and berries. So you get, you know, more fruit for, at the end of the day, the carbohydrate content is probably not lower because I'm adding berries, but I'm not getting, you know, if you look at the flavored, you're getting higher amount of sugar to not very much actual fruit. Sure. In- sure.
0: You, by the time you got to lunch, uh, do you have any fruits? Like uh, I could tell you, I love having peaches and sometimes oranges. I sometimes have a peach and an orange in the morning. Is that a bad thing?
1: Well, no. So the thing is, at the end of the day, and, and, the, and the data are pretty clear, a, a ketogenic diet or a low-carb diet, from a weight loss perspective, if we're just talking about weight loss, if the total amount of food. So the calories eaten at the end of the day, as long as you don't overconsume and you eat the right quantity of food, there's no metabolic advantage from a weight loss perspective to a ketogenic diet. In my, in my experience and why I think it for the people that say, Hey, it, it works better for me than anything is if you can only have less than 50 grams of carbs a day, you automatically are not eating any ultra processed food because it's almost all carbohydrate. Driven with fat. It's not, I'm I'm not blaming carbs because it's also high fat, high fat, high carb, you put that together, you know, chips, cookies, all, all of that. But but a ketogenic diet eliminates all of that. And so I think for people, as long as they can adhere to a ketogenic diet, it's very effective because it removes those foods that we know are, are so easy to overeat. But yeah, for, for people that are listening, don't, don't feel like I know I should be eating low carb. In fact, if you look at the longest lived populations in the world. They don't eat low carb. So, you know, if, if we want to look at, you know, you look at Italy, the Middle East, you look at, you know, Japan, you look at most Asian cultures, they don't have obesity problems. They eat higher carb diets.
0: So take me to dinner now. We got lunch now at dinner.
1: Yeah. So, okay, d- dinner time. And you, and my you wife, don't, you don't eat between meals, right? No. Yeah. I don't snack between meals. So I do three meals and I eat those from about 10 in the morning till about seven o'clock in the evening. So that's like my, my, eating window, um, so to speak. And dinner will usually be higher vegetable. So like last, last night I sauteed, I did garlic, onions, and a whole head of purple cabbage. And then I had that with like a sirloin steak. I eat more seafood probably than anything because my my wife's vegetarian. So we eat a lot of seafood. Um, So I I tend to, I, I like steak. I, in my opinion, And at least according to my blood work, I always say in my opinion or specify if something, I'm not recommending this to everyone else. I recommend people get blood work when they eat a certain way and then look at their blood work and see if the way they're eating agrees with with their biology, right? So my lipids are always good. So I do eat probably more red meat than a lot of people that are very health conscious. It's generally leaner red meat. So like sirloin, filet, I'll buy lean ground beef but I'll do either seafood or red meat. I don't eat very much chicken. I, I got so burned out on chicken. I just don't, you know, <laughs> and, and I still to this day don't enjoy it too much. So,
0: so so then three questions. Number one is, do you ever eat dessert?
1: Yeah, so I'll eat dessert a, a, few times, a few times a year. And when I say a few, it's it's five or six over the course of a year. And the, and the reason for that is It's not like, oh, I'm superhuman and I just like white knuckle it. I don't, I'm not a big sweets person, to be honest with you. So it's not hard for me to not eat dessert. I will go probably twice a month. I take my kids to sushi and I, and I grossly overeat sushi. So (laughs) I, I just, and the funny thing is I mentioned to you before we started, I had my genome sequenced and it's just interesting, you know, you're not going to have your genome sequenced and get a lot of actionable um, information, but it's just interesting and one of the things that I thought was funny is I've always told people, man, even when I was obese, I wasn't obese from brownies. I was obese from lasagna and pizza, right? I, that was the foods. I, I just wouldn't eat dessert, but I would eat a whole large pizza. And so I have uh, a genetic polymorphism that says, oh, you love savory food. You're not a sweets person. They can kind of certain genetics that you know people have indicate whether or not you're more likely to have those types of cravings, and it turns out that maybe it's my genes, but I'm more of a savory person than I am a sweets person.
0: The second thing is uh, we talked about the dessert. Um, Tell me about two things. Number one, you know, you go to the store, there's a lot of these like protein bars and the supplements that you're supposed sometimes to snack on or in between meals, like a Uh, and and vitamins you go to any store and it's like it's i don't know how many billions of dollars industry in terms of vitamins and and supplements do you take any supplements do you take any protein bars or do you
1: recommend them and if yes why if no why not the way i view protein supplements is they're well any all supplements really are there to supplement a proper diet if your lifestyle your, your diet your exercise if those things are not being done then I don't think you're going to realize a big benefit or really probably any measurable benefit from any supplements at all. Um, But with that being said, the potential downsides, I think, to a protein supplement, for example, is they are isolating the protein molecules and you're losing the micronutrition that comes in a whole food matrix. So, you know, if you eat fish, if you eat lean ground beef, if you eat whatever it is that you eat to get your protein, you're getting micronutrition, you know, vitamins, minerals, there's other things in there that you are getting that are beneficial to health that you're not getting from from supplements. So I don't think taking a protein shake to help you hit a a protein goal or throwing it in your smoothie, for example, or, you know, however you want to use it, I don't think there's an issue with supplementing protein. Um, Where I think you could run into an issue is if you're over-supplementing the protein at the expense of eating nutritious food. How much protein do you need in a given day? Uh, if you're physically active, 0. 0.8 grams per pound or 1.6 per kilo, roughly, that that area is what you'd want to maintain lean muscle mass and allow you to build lean muscle mass. Um, so, you know the my son okay. no
0: that's okay that's that's authentic that's called that's why it's healthcare unfiltered we <laughs> put everything
1: in. Um, so you know one of the things I think. When people look at, you know, the, the RDA for protein, and I'm not a dietitian, so i be faced with that, um, but the RDA is the amount of protein that you need to eat to prevent associated deficiencies, you know, medical right. conditions from a deficiency in protein. It doesn't mean that that's the optimal, optimal amount of protein for an individual to eat. So I do think the RDA are probably a little bit low, um, especially because protein is very satiating, you know, it, it does well when they look at satiety of specific foods. So when you eat a meal, if the meal contains a solid protein serving, you're likely to feel fuller longer than if you're eating a meal that's lower in protein. Um, and that's part of, if you look at uh, CDC does um, data on, you know, dot American diets, and what they find is that the median carbohydrate intake is 48%, I think, fats, like of calories of calories and proteins less than 13%. So the average American, you know, we know we have an obesity epidemic going on. We we eat a lot of carbohydrate and fat and not enough protein. Um, In my opinion, when you look at what the research supports as best for body composition, we we definitely have a body composition issue as a
0: society. So so, Um, so you don't take vitamins. uh, Do you take vitamins?
1: Yeah. So, so I, I don't take any, any, I personally don't use any protein supplements or protein bars, although I've been working from home since 2017. Prior to that, I would use protein here and there, um, like if I'm traveling, if I'm on the go. And so I I think they're fine if you need to fill in when there's not a better option. I I just favor food because you're you're not going to get – yeah, yeah, yeah. So – but I don't think – yeah, I do think that we've got to be careful with with regards to protein bars. So most protein supplements, you're getting very low carbohydrate, very low fat. It's mostly just protein powder, right? Yeah. Um, with most protein bars, that's not the case. And the calories can get very high. And some of them are just glorified candy bars. And so I think you just got to be careful and read, read the nutritional information when it comes to protein bars. As far as supplements, um, I do take a multivitamin like every other day. And the reason that I do that is it's no matter how you eat, it's possible that you have some deficiencies here and there in various micronutrition. So I think taking a multivitamin for, for people there's, from a risk reward standpoint, there's literally, I mean, I guess I can't say no risk, but if you read, yeah, read the data.
0: Yeah, I mean, for you at least the, the, the reward is more, but how hard is it Jerry to, uh, to stay on a low carbs diet for goodness, like over a decade right now for you, for somebody who's listening, like it, it sounds torture,
1: if it depends on your. And, I think it depends.
0: And, and as you answer that, take me through the decision that you make. If so, if it's a woman versus a man in terms of diet, because it's you know, are the recommendations different in terms of requirements, or it's about the same, just less because weight could be different.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think that two two things that you you've got to consider is it. It seems to me from you know decades of working with people is that. On average, um, women tend to gravitate more toward carbohydrate-heavy foods. If you just ask them, "What are your favorite foods? What do you like to eat?" Oftentimes, um, men will say, "Oh, I, I like steak. I like." A lot of times, it's more protein-heavy, and sometimes I find that men have an easier time with a higher protein, lower carbohydrate diet. What I would say for women or, or men and mean, this goes, goes both ways—but the, the biggest, the biggest common thread in successful lifestyle patterns and successful diets is sustainability. So I'm gonna give you an example. Um, let's say your your culture is a culture where the foods are higher carbohydrate foods and you, you, don't, you can't imagine not eating those things. You can lose weight and you can maintain a great, you know, body composition, eating higher carbohydrate foods. The trick is you're either gonna have to choose a higher carbohydrate, lower fat, or you're gonna have to choose a lower carbohydrate, higher fat, I'm sure it probably is common sense to people. If you're eating high carbohydrate and high fat, there's just too much total energy in the diet. And so that's, that, that's the standard American diet, high carb, high fat, right? So I, I'm always careful to tell people that you don't have to do a low carbohydrate diet, but you do have to choose either low carbohydrate or low fat and then do the one that is the most sustainable for you. To give you an example, I mentioned my wife being vegetarian. She eats lower fat, higher carb, N- not crazy high carb, but she's high- more higher carb, lower fat. And I'm the exact opposite. I eat higher fat, lower carb. Um, so you kind of have to choose and then, you right. know, look at recipes and foods that fit within that framework. How about alcohol? I, I don't drink. A few years ago at a wedding um, and then before that, when we went to Hawaii. It's not that I no, think I can- mean,
0: you, you don't, but if somebody likes of a glass of wine yeah. like how, how would that affect that? Like where would you put that in the diet perspective?
1: Yeah, so what I was going to say is just I, I think that when it comes to alcohol, a moderate amount, so the glass of red wine a day, that type of thing, I think that that is, it, it's never really, from what I've seen, been associated with uh, impaired health outcomes. So I think that as long as you legitimately can stay in that, you know, European consumption or what people t- tend to think of, you know, in, in that, regard, it's probably fine. Um, the thing you have to be wary of is that alcohol does contain calories. And so you kind of have to look at it like I'm having a glass of Gatorade, right? Gatorade contains carbohydrates, it contains calories. So you can, you can have that and it's not going to impair your ability to lose body fat. You just have to make sure you account for it. So if you're, if you're thinking, okay, I, I think I'm good for the day then you're going to have a few glasses of wine now, not because it's alcohol, but because the caloric content of the alcohol can push you over. So you, you've got to be cognizant of the energy content of alcohol. And then the other thing is alcohol will generally impair sleep quality, especially if you have more than one glass for most people, or if you have it too close to bedtime, which most people like to drink in the evenings. So that's just something to kind of be aware of that you may feel okay, but, if you look at um, the data on alcohol consumption and sleep quality, it, it definitely negatively impacts your sleep quality. So that's just something- My, that my friend,
0: see. my sleep quality sucks and I don't even drink. <laughs> Another question before we move to exercise is um, ice cream. Do you ever have ice cream?
1: Please say yes. Okay, please. so you know what's funny? Uh, on a rare occasion, I will with my kids, but my, my the dessert that I, I love tiramisu, like real authentic tiramisu, so that, that's my thing. I actually have some mascarpone cheese in, in the fridge. And I've, I've never made it. I have a recipe for low-carb, like keto tiramisu, right? And it's good, but it's not amazing. It's not real tiramisu, right. you know? So I actually, my daughter wanted to make it like, hey, dad, let's make real tiramisu at home. Let's try it. So we looked at these like authentic Italian recipes. And so we're going to make like a real tiramisu. But yeah, for, for me, I, I'm, like I mentioned, about 80 grams of carbs a day. I, that's my daily what, what i eat daily if we go to a restaurant which you probably get out once like sit down at a restaurant once a week once every 10 days something like that if we go to a restaurant i will depending on the kind of food i, I won't eat low carb but just how, because how
0: do you track it like do you have like an app you try like how I'm trying just to understand, is your mind constantly thinking what I'm eating? And we hear about apps to track what you eat and you enter and you input what you eat to tell you what you, if it's too Like, how do you track your intake or is just a system you're used to it right now? Um, Or do you use an actual um, app to tell you what the calories and the content?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, tracking for a week or two helps you get an idea for when you look at foods roughly where you're at right it's not going to be perfect um and so i have done that in the past and when i go get blood work so i go once a year i'll have blood work done and i usually track two weeks before i get blood work done and i not every single day but i'll track probably two or two out of three days um or two out of three meals and then the main reason i do that is i want to see where my dietary fiber my saturated fat content and that kind of stuff is so that when i get my blood work if my lipids come back and Hey, your LDL went up. Okay, what have I been doing? You know, is because is, everything on my blood work, everything's where, where it's acceptable to me. I'm happy where it is. Um, you know, if anybody cares, my LDL range is between 85 and 91. Usually my triglycerides are 60, 55 to 60. My total cholesterol, 160 last time. So, you know, if, as I'm getting older, if something were to start to shift, I want to be able to go, oh, well, maybe I need to lower my saturated fat. Oh my, you know what? My fiber is lower than it normally is you know, so, so I will track for a few weeks before blood work, but I've done it enough that I don't have to track anymore. And to be clear, you can lose weight. I mean, you can lose weight, you can be healthy, you don't need apps, you don't need to track. But to give you an idea of what you're working with, most people I find if they actually do do it for a week or two, what they learn is beneficial, and it does help them long term. So I don't want people to think because it, it, it's an inconvenience. I mean, we're busy, we have all this stuff on our plate already. And then you're sitting there entering all this stuff, you know, you can use like MyFitnessPal for free. Um, it's pretty easy to use. But I, but I don't, the more, the more things you put on someone's plate, the less sustainable everything becomes. So what I usually encourage people is look, track for a week or two. And once you have that information, that'll help you eyeball how much to eat. So like when I told you, I eat four eggs every day, I, I literally use One teaspoon of butter, one teaspoon of olive oil in the pan. Then I saute the vegetables. Then I put my four eggs. Like I eat breakfast at home every day. So I already know my breakfast is going to be this many calories because I eat the same thing almost every day. you You got used to it. Yeah, I get a little system. You get a little system for yeah, yourself. Yeah, you, know?
0: you get a little system with that. So, so then, and 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 Jerry, do you, um, I know you have a, we'll talk about your website a little bit, but I, I do you provide nutritional counseling to people? Like, do you, are you trained in nutrition or this is like, a, or, or, um, you help them with the exercise
1: program or both? Well,
0: tell us about that. So, I,
1: I can do both, but what I always tell people is if, so if somebody says, hey, look, I'm, I'm type, type two diabetic, I have, is different medical conditions. Definitely. I'm not a dietitian. And so I'm not qualified for, nor would I try to give somebody a diet to treat, you know, if they have some kind of health problems like that, what I tell people is I can help you with eating to support your body composition goals and, you know, general health and wellness. So if somebody's like, Hey, this is what I want. I'm on an exercise program. I really need to lose 20 pounds. I'm already healthy. My doctor's cleared me for exercise. Yeah. Then I can definitely, you know, do a comprehensive program for you.
0: Speaking of the exercise program, one of the things that always intrigued me is that you say you don't need the gym. You can exercise at home and you've been doing it obviously for a while. So, so how, I don't know, it's very difficult obviously to demonstrate on a podcast that I'm curious in terms of how do you implement that how do you tell people what to do and have you seen more people benefiting from it because they don't go to the gym like what what kind of exercises can somebody do at home
1: well okay so so there's there's two two things you know so we we want to have a good body composition if anybody listening right we don't want to be fat we know that from a health standpoint when you have a better body composition it's associated with you know greatly improved outcomes health-wise but You know, generally you tend to, if you're leaner and you look better, you feel better. There's there's always different benefits. So there's all these reasons to exercise. But to the point you brought up earlier, we're busy, we have all this different stuff going on. And so from a sustainability standpoint, what I try to focus on is sustainability and efficiency. And so I think one of the things that people miss often when they begin an exercise program is you want to focus on building strength and the primary reason for that is because strength is a very strong correlate with human longevity. When they look at centenarian populations, the upper one third in strength tend to live the longest. So, and and the weaker tend to have the earliest mortality. So it's important if you, if you think about, okay, I'm going to start exercising. Awesome. Now you've made a commitment to start exercising. What should you do? You should make sure strength is a part of your exercise program, not, not, even if you say, well, I don't want big muscles, it, trust me, it takes years. So you're not going to have to worry about getting big muscles very quickly. So it's a definitely a long process. But even if you normally wouldn't think, oh, I want to get stronger, it's good for your longevity. It's, it's hugely beneficial for health, especially if you think about – I'll give you a, an example. When you strength train, you improve stability, especially when you do it properly. You improve stability. Your joints are stronger. Um, your whole musculoskeletal system is stronger. You're less likely to fall. And if you do fall, you're less likely to be as severely injured. So let's say you're, you're getting older and you fall and you don't break your hip, you don't fracture a bone. Okay? That's a huge win because if you suffer a hip fracture later in life, the mortality within 12 months is something like 40% roughly depending on the study that you look at. So most people when they sustain a catastrophic musculoskeletal injury, from that point on, that begins the end of their life. They, they will start the decline from that injury. So you, So you wanna try to safeguard yourself against that injury and then, if you do suffer an injury like that, the stronger that you are, the easier the rehabilitation is likely to be, and the more full your recovery is likely to be. So, I, I definitely want to encourage people to make strength a part of their exercise program. So, don't just I'm going to start exercise cool. I'm just going to go jog, and that's all you do. That's that's excellent. I'm not criticizing anyone if they're just going to go do endurance work. I actually run as much as I as I lift. So, do you do you, do you recommend running and jogging? Yeah, I mean where i mean Oh, the reason i
0: ask is because i hate running and i was trying to get out of it but not it's
1: you. not well that's what i was going to say it's not a requirement if you like it then yes 100% if you enjoy it you should do it because again sustainability is key if you love to get outside and go run in nature and everything then for sure it's it's excellent what i encourage people to do is also work in some strength training and to to the point i made earlier with sustainability and efficiency you can do a 10 to 13 minute strength training session, literally 10 to 13 minutes, two to three days a week, and that will build muscle very well.
0: So at home, how do you do strength training for 10 to 15 minutes? What, what, what do you, what, uh, you know, just like a couple of exercises, just curious.
1: So, so the way I normally would suggest it for, for the average person to to accomplish three things. So you're gonna build muscle, you're going to get stronger, and at the same time, you're going to improve your cardio metabolic health all in one shot what I would suggest is you do a series of exercises in a circuit, so you move from one exercise to the next with minimal rest. If you need to take a 30 seconds of rest, you, you go ahead and do so. But as you get healthier, as your conditioning improves over time, you end up needing less and less rest to where you're able to just move from one exercise to the next. And to give you an example of a, something an absolute beginner could do, um, utilizing only your body weight, you could do body weight squats which sound like nothing, but you imagine a toddler squat, the, per- the perfect body weight squat in your mind. If you picture a three-year-old squatting down to play with their toys, they squat butt to heel. They have great mobility. Uh, so that's what you're shooting for. Now most adults because of decades of sitting in chairs, um, driving cars, we cannot squat like that. We lack the ankle mobility. The hips are too tight. Um, so what you would do is maybe you start with a low chair. So like, like a fold-out chair or something you have at the house, And you would just squat down until your butt barely touches the chair. And the purpose for the chair is if you have poor ankle mobility and you're going to fall over backwards when you squat deep, this prevents you from falling and injuring yourself. So you would just squat to the chair. And as soon as your butt hits the chair, you stand back up, squat down, stand back up. And you literally just do those squats until you feel like you can't perform another squat. And then you're done with that exercise. And then you would go from those squats directly to push-ups. A lot of adults cannot perform a push-up on the ground. And so the, the beauty of calisthenics, body weight training is it's infinitely scalable. So what you would do if you your power to weight ratio, so let's say you have excess body fat, your muscles are very weak, you would start by leaning into a wall. You would stand facing the wall and do push-ups against the wall. And you would do those push-ups until you don't feel like you can perform another rep. And then at that point, you're done with that exercise, you move on to the next exercise. Um, and you would do the same thing through four exercises or six exercises for example and then once you make it through that circuit you're done for the day and so your, your entire workout's finished depending on how many exercises you do somewhere between you know any eight, 10, 15 minutes tops you
0: know and i'm trying to think i mean this is really very uh, practical for folks who travel and, right uh, right i mean i think when you travel it's very difficult sometimes to make it to the gym so you actually end up um doing in your hotel room or, or just wherever you right. are in a way that, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to do that. So do you, uh, is that something do, do you, do you, I mean, I, I'm trying to, uh, do you have clients or people who actually call you or visit your website to, so you could customize a program to them based on their lifestyle?
1: Yeah, I, I do have people that, um, they'll want a custom programming done. And then I, what I do is I use an app. So I populate a calendar for you with all your workouts, you know, across however many days a week we decide you want to exercise for. And then we, we program that out for eight weeks or 16 weeks and it allows you to log in. And one of the biggest things for people is accountability. Um, if they don't, sometimes it's that extra push of knowing you have to log in and, and say, Hey, I did my workout for the day. Here's, here's my reps. Here's where I'm at. And then I'm reviewing it and we're, we you know, talking back and forth. Um, but at the end of the day, that's one of the reasons I, like I just mentioned, uh, or like I mentioned earlier, rather taking your sets close to the point where you fail, that's the key to, to building muscle and adapting to that exercise. So the reason that's important is if you did that circuit style training, like I just mentioned in 15 minutes and you move right from one exercise to the next, it's actually how I do my own workouts. And so yesterday I was in a hurry. Um, I did my upper body session. I had to go pick my kid up. So I I mean, it was like 12 minutes. I, I only did enough exercises to get where I'm finished in 12 minutes. But my heart rate was 145, 150 while I'm resistance training. So this is my you know what somebody would normally consider that they're weightlifting. So my heart rate is elevated over that period to a point to where I'm getting adequate cardiovascular work out of this. Also, if you think about what most people do for traditional weight training, maybe they do one set of their bench press and then they're gonna rest for a few minutes, then they're gonna do one set of something else, they're gonna rest for a few minutes. There's nothing wrong with that, but The problem is your heart rate for most people, just to give an example, even if I did a very heavy set on a bench press, I will maybe get to 110 heart rate. So if all you do is lift and you do the leisurely longer rest periods, like most people do at a gym, it's still beneficial for you. It's still still good for you. Uh, And again, strength and muscle mass are correlated with longevity. So again, I'm not trying to turn anybody off from a specific style of training, but in my opinion, and based on the data that are out there, if you weight train and you take longer rest periods, and you're not really getting your heart rate elevated, you're probably not getting adequate cardiovascular work from that weight training. So the problem is from an efficiency standpoint, now you have to add cardio and you have to weight train. But
0: really what you do is almost mini CrossFit.
1: Yeah, it's similar. For, for most people, because again, when I say most people, I don't know if it's 70%, but people reach out and they say, hey, look, I, I, want, I want to be healthier. I want to build some muscle. I want to be stronger. I don't have a lot of time. Okay, hey, we're going we're gonna to be as efficient as possible. What happens is when you want to optimize for one of those things more, if somebody says, hey, I really want to get my VO2 max up, I want to be as cardio cardiometabolically fit as possible, I want to go run a marathon. Well, you're going to have to do a lot of running, right? I mean, you, you want to optimize for that. You're going to have to target that more at the expense of some of the time you would put into strength or some of the time you would put into muscle mass. Sometimes I have people... I've had women that are underweight, and they say, hey, "I really need to build more muscle." And so it's like, okay, we're not—we're going to have you rest longer, and by resting longer, sure. sh- yes. Suzette, yeah, set there's customization, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so that—that's where, when it comes to exercise, you just have to think about what are your goals. And but for most people, just to be healthier, you can you can just resistance train with body weight or with weights, whatever you prefer. But you could just resistance train, and as long as you keep that that pace from exercise to exercise high enough, you're going to get the cardiovascular benefit. Then as long as you take the sets close or to failure, you're going to get the muscle growth and the strength adaptation too. The biggest mistake I see with people when they want to work out at home and they want to, is a lack of intensity. And when I say intensity, I don't mean the pace. Sometimes they're jumping all over the living room, jumping jack, crazy, all this stuff, but they're never taking the muscles. They're getting centrally fatigued. So yeah, your heart rate's one sixty. You're dripping sweat. None of your muscles are close to failure on any of those sets. You're not going to build any muscle. That's so you're you're gonna right. That's that's the point I try to make people. Is you're going to essentially fatigue yourself. Man, I feel like I got hit by a bus, and you still didn't build any muscle. You're going to put all that work and all that effort yeah, into it's your exercise a session with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: So, so uh, we've talked about a lot of things. in the last thing, and I, you've been very generous with your time. I want to be very sensitive uh, uh, for your time. So. We've talked about exercise, low carbs, keto diet, uh, risk reward, vitamin supplements. My last uh, thing, and then I'll let you go. I promise. Um, no, you're good. You're good. Is how how did you what do you how did you utilize uh, social media into this? Uh, I follow you on Twitter, and I just I'm getting to learn Instagram. I just started following you on Instagram because I. Still have no clue what Instagram is, but- um, Yeah, I'm not that uh, good at it either. Yeah, what is, uh, have you, like how long have you been on social media and how have you utilized this uh, uh, and any backlash? I mean, have you gotten uh, some people who were like, you know, not too friendly to you or your approach on social media and all of that stuff? So maybe in a minute or two, if you can just describe your social media experience and then I promise I'll let you go.
1: Yeah, I think um, what's helped me on social media, I was on, back in 2011, I reserved my name on Twitter, but I never used it. So luckily I I reserved it. And then way, way later, 2018, I think, was when I first started utilizing it in any active manner. And so I started using Twitter mostly to follow people that, you know, PhDs, researchers, whose work I wanted to stay abreast on, so I used it mostly for that purpose at first. And I had a, a lady who had a wrist injury. I, I saw her in a thread and she had already went through physical therapy, but she was having some problems with the wrist and she was trying to get back into weight training. And so there were some specific forearm and wrist strengthening and mobility exercises, but they're hard to explain, you know, on a tweet. So I, I shot a quick video and I sent it to her and then she shared it and it kind of took off. And then I had other people asking questions, so I started answering in some tutorials, some video tutorials, which Twitter's not good for finding that stuff later. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I started a YouTube just to have a place to kind of house things, so that later when somebody asks, I can say, "Here's the link. Go check this video out." You know. So that started the YouTube, uh, and then so the last three years really is where my Twitter growth started. Um, and the thing that I say I try to do with my social media is. We've, we've become, I think because of social media increasingly tribal and everybody wants to be right all the time and their way is the right way and everybody else is wrong, right? I see it all the time, right? So you get your keto community, which I'm, I've been low carb for a long time. I consider myself a part of that community, but I've insisted all along, I'm never dogmatic. There's more than one way to get results. There's many past the same destination. And, and to me, it's kind of like common sense. I mean, I can just look around the world at all of the populations that aren't fat and they don't eat low carb. So it's completely insane to me that anybody would think you have to eat low carb to lose weight. It just doesn't even make any sense from a common sense standpoint. Now with that being said, it's a perfectly valid approach if that's how you want to do it. So I think that the things that it's been a double-edged sword. I get some pushback from different communities because I'm in that community but I'm also not dogmatic about that community, and I'm the first person to say, you know, people are like, "Why do you think a low carb diet worked for you?" And I'm like, "Because I ate less than I, I ate less energy than I expended, like energy balance. If anybody's taken high school biology, energy balance governs every organism on the entire planet." So it, when I see it people, it just
0: tells you it doesn't matter what you preach in social media. Somebody is going to be offended. Someone is not going to like you.
1: Always, always. I, I okay. So listen, this this is this will cap perfect example there's uh he's not vegan but he's strongly plant-based right like a, he's a he's a phd researcher smart guy he's a little it's a little contentious his style is very confrontational you know but he posted uh comparing ribeye steak to lentils and he talked about why lentils are nutritionally a much better option than ribeye steak and so i replied and i said hey the nutritional argument you know i, I get that but have you tasted a steak? And have you tasted lentils? You know, we joke back and forth. (laughs) And um, so anyways, but but it was like a big, like a debate. And it was actually a friendly debate between several people, but they were talking, comparing ribeye to lentils. And so, you know, of course, the strongly meat based low carb people are like, pro ribeye and lentils cause inflammation. And, you know, you don't want to eat lentils. And then the plant based people are like, Oh, you're murdering animals, you know, it turns into the big argument like all oh, so so the next day i posted a picture of a ribeye steak on a plate with a lentil salad and i said look why not ribeye and lentils i think i saw that you know, I think I saw that. <laughs> you know it was really funny almost every day i and i don't i don't like pay attention to this every day but usually i'm gaining followers on a daily basis so i posted the ribeye and the lentils and i lost followers of course like <laughs> so people are that people are that tribal and they want to have an echo chamber and so bad.
0: anything COVID-19 has increased the tribalism right I mean it's great right.
1: and and so the thing is I, I'm the opposite where I follow some vegans who are I think dogmatic vegans right not not always arguing on the merit of nutrition or whatever but just they, they're biased they have dogma but some of them put out good work and I still learn I still follow them I don't care right no. I, I follow people that are like I, I don't follow any political accounts because I just it, it's not good for my blood pressure for my peace yeah, you know, so I, you guys stay healthy, dude. I unfollowed all those people like two, three years ago. I was like, okay, this is toxic. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to see that in my feed. But, um, but I think th- to the point that you made, I think we all need to be. We all say we're tolerant, but we're really not tolerant. No, no, we're right? tolerant as long as they agree with us. Um, yeah. Before I let you go, how do people,
0: I'm trying, I want to make sure people, uh, so your Twitter account is at Jerry Teixeira, uh, that's Jerry, T-E-I-X-E-I-R-A, and uh, you have a website as well?
1: Yeah, it's, it's bodyweightstrength.fit.
0: And you also have what, like a YouTube channel? YouTube,
1: yeah, and the YouTube is Bodyweight Strength,
0: okay. um,
1: or, or you can type that in, it's my name, on YouTube is my name as well. But you can type in body weight strength, and I'm pretty sure I come up at the top. And so. you
0: also have a, uh, you also have Instagram as well.
1: Yeah, kind of like you said, trying to be more active yeah. on there. I have no idea what I'm doing there, but uh, hey,
0: I made an account. Jerry, this has been really a pleasure. The only thing I would say, the only comment I have is that I'm not really sure I'll ever have six pack because my goal is to have six pack. You know how it is. I mean, that's really my goal.
1: Yeah. But, yeah. Uh,
0: I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Any last uh, minute uh, uh, departing words before I let you go?
1: Probably the biggest thing that I try to get across, and you've probably seen this with my social media, is there's more than one path to the destination of, of good health. And so try to adopt a sustainable, healthy overall lifestyle pattern. And so one of the things I see all the time, and I understand it because we all have to, you can fast, but you can't fast forever, right? So everybody's got to eat, which means everyone has skin in the game. Everyone's invested, which is why I think everyone wants their diet to be the best, their way of eating to be the best. But I see often people get too wrapped up in thinking that diet is the only thing that matters. And certainly diet matters a lot. I mean, you know, we are what we eat to an extent. So So yeah, diet's important, but don't forget that when you look at you know, Alzheimer's, when you look at cancer and you look at heart disease and all these other things, exercise is independently correlated with drastically improved outcomes and every single one of them. So don't get caught up in just diet, making your diet perfect, obsessing over all these little, you know, micro details of diet, and then you don't exercise. At the same time, exercise can't do everything that your diet can do. You've got to do both. You also got to sleep well. You know, if you're not uh, getting enough
0: sleep, there. Once you say sleep well, <laughs> I have like the most awful sleep pattern in the universe. Sadly.
1: Oh, but but, but then you okay. I know, but then you can say okay. I know where my yeah. low hanging fruit is. I know where my low hanging fruit is. You know, okay. it, it's at the same time. If your device usage is 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 too high, you know, one of the things that's strongly correlated to longevity, I think less so than diet and less so than, than physical activity, but still, when you look at correlates to longevity, mindfulness, being in the moment. I think one of the biggest challenges for us today is, are you present in the moment? Are you enjoying what's happening? Is your face in the phone while you're at dinner? Are you not paying attention to your kids? And I, and those things obviously can impact the child and, but they impact us, you know? So when it comes to health and wellness, I, I try to tell people to focus on the big picture. You know, are, are you getting natural sunlight at some point in the day to help regulate your sleep and wake? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not just about it's, diet. It's, it's not uh, just about exercise. It's, it's, Try to think about, you know, try to think about, my my family's from the Azores in Portugal, okay? So there's an island where they don't even have cars. So sometimes I think about my grandmother and I'm like, okay, how would she be living? You know, try to, I'm not trying to appeal to ancestors or appeal to the naturalistic fallacy or whatever, but I think it's beneficial to think in terms of evolutionary biology. I mean, what what did nature select for as we became who we are today? And so, yeah, maybe we need a little less screen time. Maybe we need to turn the lights off a little earlier, wake up a little earlier, get some sunlight in the morning. You know, de-stress. Yeah. You know, so I so I try to paint the the overall healthy lifestyle pattern is the important thing, not not the magic diet or the magic exercise program. It's it's all of it. So all the of big core
0: message is look at the overall picture, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you go by JT also, which means gives you more. Yeah. Confidence. Uh, It's been a pleasure having you on Healthcare Unfiltered. Truly appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, it was awesome being here. Thank you.
0: Thanks folks for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time and hearing my interview with JT. Uh, Please visit his website, follow him on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to his YouTube channel. You're really going to see a lot of excellent content that I personally enjoyed, and I'm pretty sure you will enjoy as well. Let me know how I'm doing. Provide any feedback that you have on healthcare unfiltered. You could do that by direct messaging me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan. That's at C H A D I N A B H A N. You could also visit my website, ShadiNabhan.com, or send me an email to shadi Nabhan at Outlook.com. Uh, you could also watch the entire uh, interviews on and the podcast on my YouTube channel, Shady Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. And um, uh, certainly, I would love for you to tell us any feedback and uh, let us know how the podcast and the YouTube videos could be improved. Before I let you go, I really want to leave you with a saying I love. Uh, and I came across that recently. It's by Alexander Den Hager, who's a speaker. The moment we realize we know nothing, We invite wonder back into our lives. Until next time, take care.